the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Why would God take the time hundreds of years in advance to spell out the details of the coming Messiah who would die for the sins of the world if it wasn't for the fact that God cares about you and God cares about me? Because you don't warn someone in advance about an imminent threat and also give the remedy as to how to avoid it unless you love somebody. And that's what God has done. Do you ever feel like you're trapped in a cycle of sin? In today's edition of Cornerstone Connection, Pastor Gary talks about how even though we are sinful people, Christ still cares about us. The Lord cares about us so much that He warned us about the consequences of sin, but He didn't leave us without a way out. He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. Through Jesus, we can be forgiven and have eternal life with God. He wants to spend eternity with us. We just have to choose Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, as he continues his message, Jesus the Messiah. The story of Jesus is revealed through the whole Bible from cover to cover. The Old Testament previews Jesus. The New Testament reviews Jesus. All of the Bible overviews Jesus. It's all about Christ. And I love to quote this Scottish preacher, author, died in like 1957, I think. His name was William Graham Scroggie. I love to quote him on this because he said this once. He said, you cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. Because everywhere in the Bible you go from Genesis to Revelation, it bleeds with the story of the sacrifice of Christ. Jesus is revealed from cover to cover. And if that's true, that wherever you cut the Bible it bleeds, then Isaiah 50 to 53 needs a tourniquet. Because these are some of the most profound prophetic passages in all of the Bible concerning the Messiah, specifically concerning the humiliation, the suffering, the death, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of the Messiah, all of which was fulfilled entirely and exclusively in Christ. Let me point out a couple of these verses. If you have your Bibles open now to Isaiah chapter 50, look at verse 6. One of the first things that Isaiah tells us leading up to the crucifixion of Christ, prophetically speaking, is that Jesus will suffer brutal beatings 
in the hours leading up to his crucifixion. In Isaiah 50, verse 6, speaking in the first person, Messiah, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Isaiah gives us insight into a little detail that the Gospels are silent about. The Gospels don't tell us that Jesus' beard was ripped out from his face, but Isaiah tells us. Isaiah tells us. In fact, Isaiah goes on to say that the physical beatings that Jesus sustained, even before he was flogged and nailed to the cross, just in the course of the hours preceding his crucifixion, Isaiah says he was beaten so severely that it disfigured his face and he was unrecognizable. Go over to chapter 52 of Isaiah, and I'll show you in verse 14. Isaiah 52 and verse 14. It says, Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. You know, many years ago when Mel Gibson put out The Passion of the Christ, one of the criticisms he got for that movie was that it was just way too malicious and too severe and brutal in the beating that Jesus sustained. Well, that was the criticism levied against Mel Gibson, but as horrific, if you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, as as horrible as it is to watch those scenes, I think it had to be true to the text. Because Jesus, it says here in Isaiah 52, 14, Messiah was beaten so horrifically, so viciously, that you wouldn't even be able to recognize, if you had seen him, you wouldn't be able to recognize who he is. His face marred beyond recognition. And the New Testament bears this out. Because in the New Testament, it tells us in Mark 14, 65, that the Jewish Sanhedrin and the Jewish temple guard beat Jesus mercilessly on his way to the cross. Mark 14, 65 says, Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. This is our Lord being beaten savagely, brutally beaten. The Roman soldiers were guilty of doing the same thing. Even outside, again, of the cat of nine tails that would literally shred his back as he was being whipped before he was being crucified, it tells us in Mark 15, 17 to 19, that the Roman guards, the Roman soldiers, put a purple robe on him, and then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! They're mocking him. And it says again and again, They struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. So Jesus, I mean, it's amazing that he was even conscious by the time he got to Golgotha. In fact, many historians say that most criminals, Jesus is not a criminal, but most criminals who were crucified died before they even got to the cross because of the beating that they sustained on the way there. Jesus was no exception to the beating, though he was an exception to being a criminal, he was the perfect son of God without sin, but all these charges were trumped up against him in order to fulfill, once again, the foreordained purposes of God, that his son might die for the sins of the world. The very people who were beating Jesus were the ones that he loved and was dying for. And so 
On his way to the cross, Jesus is beaten in such a horrific way. And then we come here now to Isaiah 53, which gives us the details about Messiah related to his crucifixion, his suffering, and his glorious resurrection. Now, before I read a little bit of Psalm, uh, sorry, Isaiah 53, if I said Psalm, forgive me, but before I read from Isaiah 53 here, I want to point out that we're looking at this from the angle of there's just no statistical way that what we're about to read could just coincidentally be fulfilled in any one person that this was not a coincidental thing. What Isaiah is writing about 700 years before Christ is about the Messiah, and all of these details were completely and exclusively fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Even the ancient Jewish rabbis, in reading Isaiah 53, acknowledged that this chapter was about the coming Messiah. The Aramaic translation of this chapter, because originally Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew, the Aramaic translation of this chapter, Isaiah 53, was written by a name by the name of, a guy by the name of Rabbi Jonathan Ben Uziel. He was actually a disciple of Hillel, one of the most famous rabbis of the first century. And Rabbi Jonathan Ben Uziel lived in the first century, just a couple decades after Christ was crucified and rose from the dead. And in his translation of Isaiah 53, he actually inserts the word Messiah because it is so clear that this chapter is referring to none other than Messiah. Also, the Babylonian Talmud, a a written commentary on Jewish scriptures written by Jews in the 4th century AD, also states that Isaiah 53 is about Messiah, is about the anointed one. But oddly enough, today in Jewish synagogues, Isaiah 53 is intentionally omitted from Sabbath readings. Why is that? Well, one Jewish scholar by the name of Claude Montefiore explained it this way, quoting him, quote, because of the interpretation of Christ given to the chapter, Isaiah 53, by Christians, It is omitted from the series of prophetical lessons for the Deuteronomy Sabbaths. The omission is deliberate and striking, end quote. In other words, they would even say that their own Jewish history points to the fact that Isaiah 53 was written about Messiah, about the anointed one, but because Christians see that too as fulfilled in Jesus, we don't want to read this chapter in the synagogues. Now, to whom is that doing a disservice? Not to Christians, but to the Jews themselves, who are not examining their own scriptures to make an intelligent examination of the evidence before them related to Messiah, because the reality is that Isaiah 53 points to the Messiah, specifically Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. And that if Jew and Gentile alike will look at these verses that I'm about to take you through with an open mind examination, you too will come to the same conclusion that the only possible person that could have fulfilled these things seven years later is none other than Jesus Christ himself. 
So I'm going to take you through just the first few verses of Isaiah 53, and I'm going to give you seven reasons to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And I just want the simplicity of these verses to speak for themselves. I don't come to you with eloquence of speech. I come to you just with Scripture, and I trust God's Word to do its powerful work in your hearts just by reading this with me and seeing how Christ fulfilled these things. Seven points from the first few verses of Isaiah 53. The first one is, Isaiah says that the servant, the Messiah, would be rejected by many. In verse 1, he says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In verse 3, he adds, He was despised and rejected by men. This was fulfilled by Jesus 700 years later. In John 12, John the Apostle quotes Isaiah 53.1. He says this, Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in Him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And he quotes Isaiah 53.1. Number two, Isaiah the prophet also says that the Messiah would come from humble beginnings. In the second verse of this 53rd chapter, he says that he, that is Messiah, grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. By the way, you notice how a modern artist's rendering of Jesus make him look like this blue-eyed Caucasian you know, with fair flowing hair that's been feathered. You know, I mean, it's just like, what, what, what in the world are we looking at here? You know, listen, uh, first of all, he's Middle Eastern, Middle Eastern descent, okay? There are some rare exceptions. David, for one, had more of a ruddy appearance. He was probably like an auburn or redhead, and he might have had fair eyes. But by and large, Middle Eastern people, dark complected, dark eyes, dark hair. We got, we got to get this very westernized, you know, vision like, you know, Jesus stepped out of, you know, GQ magazine, for goodness sakes. I, that's just not reality. In fact, Isaiah's specific that there was nothing about him that anybody should desire him. Very plain looking person. And think about it. If he had been this super, you know, like Italian model or something like some of the more modern movies of Jesus, actually hire Italian models to portray him. Not a good thing. Not an accurate thing. But think about it, if Jesus was a stunning, you know, good-looking guy, people, you know, especially women, would be a little sidetracked by the, uh, in regards to the message. There was nothing about him that anybody was attracted to him about. He was very plain, but his message was profound. And he came from humble beginnings, like a tender root, or a, rather a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. It's this reference to a branch. The word in Hebrew for branch is netzer. The root for the word Nazareth is netzer. And Jesus came from humble beginnings, was raised in Nazareth. In fact, it was such a humble beginning that one of Jesus' first disciples that he chose by hand, Nathaniel, even questioned whether Jesus could be Messiah because he came from Nazareth. And it was fulfilling in that in John 1.46, Nathaniel even said what good could come out of Nazareth because Jesus was from humble beginnings, born in a stable in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, a podunk town, maybe a couple hundred people in the days of Jesus, but it was otherwise an unknown, obscure village, and nothing much good came of it except one Messiah. Isaiah would go on also in verse 3 to tell us something else. Number 3, the Messiah would experience suffering, and boy, did he ever 
In chapter 53 here, verse 3, it says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. 700 years later, Jesus fulfills this. Luke 9.22, Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Number four, Isaiah also said that the Messiah would bear our sins and take our punishment upon himself. In verses five and six, Isaiah writes, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And 700 years later, Peter would write in his epistle, 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25, even quoting from what I just read. Peter says that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, you've been made whole, for you were like sheep going astray. All this is quoting from Isaiah, Peter writes, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Number five, Isaiah says this also about Messiah, that he would keep silent during his suffering. In verse seven, we read that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And when you read the gospel accounts of Jesus, he stands before Pilate. He only said a few things in regards to his identity, but otherwise he remained completely silent about the accusations. He's also taken in front of Herod. He does the same thing. He's just silent because he lets God defend him. You ever been accused by somebody and you want to give them a piece of your mind? Falsely accused by someone? Do you ever want to stand up and defend yourself? But Jesus, it tells us, he fulfilled this in Mark chapter 15, 3 to 5. We read, The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He didn't need to defend himself in front of man because he knew where he stood in front of his father. Number six, Isaiah the prophet also says this, that the Messiah would die with the wicked and be buried with the rich. In verse nine, we read that he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. What a very specific thing that Isaiah would say. But again, drawing attention to the identity of true Messiah. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, verse 38, that Jesus was crucified with two other criminals. So in death, numbered among the wicked, but that when he was buried, his body was secured by Joseph of Arimathea, who got permission from Pilate to take the body of Jesus from the cross and bury it in his own, Joseph of Arimathea's own family tomb that had never been occupied. And Matthew 27, verse 57, calls Joseph of Arimathea a rich man, a fulfillment of prophecy. The last one that we'll look at, though there are many more from this chapter. Number seven, 
Isaiah says that the Messiah would rise from the dead. If you look at verses 10 through 12, it says this. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, because this is part of the foreordained plan of God, and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. Okay, here we are, the, the spiritual offspring of God, if you will, because of what our Savior has done for us. His days will be prolonged, he says, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Of course, all of the New Testament talks about how Jesus fulfilled this, but Peter specifically will preach in Acts 2, 31 to 33, saying, Jesus was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Now again, these are just seven quick points to highlight from Isaiah 53, how all of these things were fulfilled exclusively by Jesus Christ. You have to look at this list and ask yourself, could that just be coincidence? And if it's not coincidence, then here's the larger question that each of us must ask because we have to move from the theoretical to the practical. If, in fact, Jesus fulfills all these things spoken of about his life 700 years in advance, what does his crucifixion and resurrection mean for me? Why would God take the time hundreds of years in advance to spell out the details of the coming Messiah who would die for the sins of the world if it wasn't for the fact that God cares about you and God cares about me? Because you don't warn someone in advance about an imminent threat and also give the remedy as to how to avoid it unless you love somebody. And that's what God has done. He's saying unto us, we're all sinners, we all need a Savior, and I want to tell you way in advance, my Son is coming to die for the sins of the world, so that as many as received Him to them that believed on His name, He might give them the right to become children of God. This is the Jesus of Isaiah 53. This is the Jesus who loves you and died for you. And I'll end where I began. In Acts chapter 8, this Ethiopian official is asking Philip, I don't understand all this, I don't understand all this. And Philip takes him right here in Isaiah 53, and he begins to explain to him probably the same things that I've been telling you here today. This is Jesus who died for you, that Isaiah spoke about 700 years earlier. And that Ethiopian eunuch, the rest of the story tells us in Acts chapter 8, opened his heart to believe in Jesus by faith, and received Christ as his Savior. And Acts 8 says, and then Philip took him down. There was a body of water nearby. Water baptized him. And this guy's life was never the same again. And the same can be true for you. Just by simply responding to the simple scripture, the plain text, speaking plainly, 
that all these things pointing to Jesus is an invitation for you likewise to accept Him and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message again in Isaiah, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. You'll find a link at our website along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. So please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. Just send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. That email address is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker where we left off in Isaiah and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.